This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at javascriptjabber.com slash kendoui. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Views on View. My name is Chris Fritz, and today on our panel, we have Eric Hanchett. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, Chris. Divya Sasidaran. Hello. For the first time, Brett Nelson. Brett, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, thanks, Chris. I'm Brett Nelson. I'm a consultant with Just Some Apps, and I write at wipdeveloper.com, and I'm writing a book, uh, Getting to Know Vue.js for APRES. It's great to have you on. Okay, and then today our guest is Roman Kuba. Yeah, uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm Roman. I live in beautiful Austria, and I'm currently like senior software engineer at a company called CodeChip. And that's where I like push front-end development like forward for the last two, three years. And yeah, I would say as Vue is one important part of our stack by now, that's where hopefully a little bit of knowledge comes from. Great. And then you recently gave a talk, I think, at Vue.js Amsterdam about adding Vue to an existing stack. And I think that was based on like personal experience, adding Vue to CodeShip, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it was more like a, a description of our journey, of all the challenges we faced, um, especially at being not at an ideal scenario in the beginning, having like no good front-end implementation at all. It was like all over the place. And we really kind of needed to step into the game and progress our way to a completely new system. And in this case, we used Vue for the front-end. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I tried to build this all up in an interesting story. So what do you mean by your front end was all over the place? Can you be a little bit more specific? Uh, sure. So it was a, a very typical Rails monolith application. And there was a lot of jQuery sprinkled all over the place, a lot of CoffeeScript here and there, uh, some Angular brought into the stack at one point if you want to do like, oh, let's build a cool application part here. And... That's basically you have like this multitude on different tools and languages, but nothing really connected. And there was no clear build process in place as well. Like there was no Webpack or so. It was like just Rails asset pipeline, what just takes all the files, mashes them together in one big file. So yeah, (laughs) a lot of little side effects here and there, you know, what makes development pretty hard. Could it have been worse? (laughs) <laughs> uh, I, I would like to say it always could be worse, yeah. Right, right. It wasn't that deal. You could have had a mix of a bunch of uh, other front-end fr- technologies thrown in there as well. Uh, yeah, it almost came so far, but we kind of decided to consolidate before everything was going super crazy. Was it Angular 1, I'm guessing? Yeah, at this point it was still Angular 1, yeah. So it must have been easier to once you start pulling out the Angular 1 stuff, I mean, kind of yeah, similar. Not, not It's different, but at least some idea with the directives are the same. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, the transition from something like Angular 1 to Vue, um, it was actually way smoother than I expected because of the similarities of using all the DOM bindings directives and the one of the 
our big wins, what made the transition very smooth and fast was that Vue supported having like the server templates and kind of use them for their own components. And like we had everything coming through slim templates. So to port them all to HTML would be very painful. Or we're just able to, let's pick them up, use them as they come. And that made the transition at least in a good starting point for us. When you worked on the transition, did you throw everything out at once and start over? Or did you transition sections of the website at one section at a time? Like bring on the section that was partially Angular in the view and then bring on some of the jQuery stuff? Or how did you go about that? Um, so at first, we tried to consolidate uh, the language fragmentation by saying, let's get rid of something like CoffeeScript and just say, switch over to just JavaScript. That at least made it a little bit more digestible and what's going on on all the fronts. And then we needed to be very smart in picking our battles, basically. And, and we had one page that was like in a super bad shape. There was the Angular 1 driven page and it was crashing and browsers for some of our customers. And that's not a good spot to be in. So we had to move very fast. And then we tried to isolate this piece of code or this piece of our application and port this one over to view as its like first proof of concept. And as we saw, okay, this worked out pretty fine and everything was working perfectly as we wanted. Then we started, okay, let's take one piece of the application by time and port it over bit by bit. Okay. When you consolidated the languages to JavaScript, did you move everything to um, like ECMAScript 5 or did you go and start using Babel at that point or how did that, oh. what was the intermediary step there? Um, in this case, it was ES5 almost solely. Uh, we used a tool that was, I think, called Coffee2JS. Uh, they have a nice command line tool that allows you kind of to really bulk port a ton of files at once. And for us, luckily, we had like almost everything backed up with specs as much as possible. So we knew that when we have everything ported over, we would see if something starts breaking at one point, our kind of build process would scream at us. And that was kind of like gave us some certainty in porting everything over because there were really a ton of files. And then it's so hard to manually um, grasp all the changes. Okay, what, what really changed from coffee to JavaScript here? And is this the correct syntax now or not? And yeah, that at least allowed us to use something like ES5 and have this one language there. We, we then started to port over ES6 at a little later point with a cool plugin from Shopify, I think it was called. Yeah. I was going to jump in here and say that uh, I haven't used CoffeeScript, but from what I heard, well, from what I hear, people hate it. Is that the general consensus? <laughs> like everybody got rid of it and every, every code base has moved over? I mean, I'm sure there's some people listening that still use it, that love it. But I, yeah, I've yeah. heard bad things. I think generally the people who don't use it might hate it. <laughs> the people who are still <laughs> using it, I think often like it. I mean, they've often chosen to use it for a reason. I, I've used CoffeeScript and I, I, think it's, I think it's fine. Yeah, I mean, there, so, there are a lot of things to like about it. 
I kind of think that a lot of people who use something oftentimes hate it more than the people who don't, right? Because your company forces you to, you're coming on a project. Yeah, I guess specifically the people who hate it the most are the ones who used to use it. (laughs) But didn't they just have a release last year? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think they released a CoffeeScript 2, right? In September, yeah. But it might be one of the, it was probably a good tool when it came out and it probably still is a good tool and there's probably people still using it and they're just not out there screaming that it's the best tool in the world because they're getting things done. Yeah, I think that's true. Sorry, I just had to throw a little controversy in there. I mean, you could probably go just down the same... in the drama, route. Eric. <laughs> you could probably go down the same rabbit hole with jQuery. Like a lot of people want to move off jQuery. Um, yeah. But we won't get into that. So... You integrated Vue into this framework, and did you find that there were differences in how Vue integrates compared to like a lot of other like JavaScript frameworks? Like, was there was that part of the reason that you chose Vue? Uh, absolutely. So, um, to give you some context, like the the transition started, I would say, around two years ago. So Vue was currently at zero point eleven. So still not like the, the huge bus and it didn't reach the version one. So it was more like the underdog, I would say. Oh, yeah, that was um, a long time ago. That was a long time ago. Yeah, that's true. And it was, it was really the challenge to what choose next. I had a lot of expertise using Angular on many projects before. So I, I felt quite comfortable using it. But at this page, like, it was impossible to get it running smoothly. And the... Under the constraint we had to work was basically we didn't have a lot of resources because we're a small startup at this point. What was mainly me doing front-end work. And we had no other person having like a ton of experience in one particular framework or library. At this point, React was like the big player and even our engineering lead or so asked at our companies and said, oh, everybody use React, use React. Um, for me, starting completely fresh at this point by looking at React and looking at Vue, I kind of instantly saw, okay, Vue feels so much nicer to progress into. If you have no experience with any of those libraries at all, it was just like, oh, the documentation is super well written. And by doing a small test in one evening or so, I saw, oh, I understand how this starts to work. And this kind of gave me a lot of confidence to say, okay, this, this feels like the right tool if you want to build something from scratch with any kind of big knowledge, because it felt like it has the path figured out for you to a certain degree. So that was probably the, the biggest step at this point. And so you felt like you, there wasn't going to be a long time before you could actually have something, <laughs> you know, you could, you could start <laughs> with a little bit of knowledge, you know, and build something that, you know, at least basically worked, you know, and then continue to grow your application as your knowledge grows. Yeah. Um, I, I think whatever technology you use, there should always be a reason why you use it. And for us, Vue was something that said, okay, it should solve a certain purpose. And then after we had the first piece of code running with Vue, we revisited it and kind of checked as a team, do we like it? How does it work? Kind of, Do we all feel comfortable having this piece of technology running in our stack and basically needing us to support it? And I got a lot of really good feedback, even from backend engineers who hated jQuery and CoffeeScript by a lot. And they felt like, oh, that kind of makes sense. It kind of clicks with me. So that was a huge win for us. That's good when you can get the whole team on board. 
Did you have, um, sorry, did you have any concerns about its long-term viability as far as support from the community since you went with it, you said before version one? Um, yeah, um, the, the long-term support was definitely like the big question there. But I, I tried to read through a lot of the view source code at this point, and it kind of was digestible. What says like, okay, that's good. Like even if we stop developing it at this point or so, we have some kind of code that we can reuse or can build up top on. So in worst case, we need to kind of like bug fix some things on our own. But it had a very good solid foundation for us. So that at least gave me the trust to say, okay, I would give it a try. And integrating into Rails, was there anything specific about Vue that made it, uh, you know, a, an easier fit for for what you were doing and how exactly you wanted to fit it in? Um, absolutely. Because um, I imagine you didn't, uh, you know, just replace your entire front end with Vue all at once, right? Yeah, definitely not. So as, as mentioned before, like we had all our templates written basically in Slim and porting over your templates to JavaScript was a big no-no at this point. Like everybody in the backend said, no, we don't want to lose control like JavaScript, that's all. Uh, for those who might not be familiar, Slim is a little bit like, uh, you know, Hamel or Jade if they, or, or Pug now, if they're familiar with those. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's good, good to share. <laughs> um, so we, we had a ton of templates written in Slim and kind of by even by being able in Vue to telling them, okay, like use this script X template or just pick up this markup here on the page made it very easy usable for us because we were not forced to put everything into the JavaScript ecosystem or render the templates there with JavaScript. While on the React side, of course, we had like at this point saying use JSX and that was even harder for us because we didn't have a proper build process in place. So it was like mm. an extra hurdle to jump on. And in this case, Vue was just like way easier to get started on. So you didn't need to like use Babel or, you know, TypeScript or, or something like that, like just to get started and, and start building something. Yeah, um, I, I think that's still one of the beauties of Vue. Like it's, as it's a progressive framework, you can just drop it in through the script tag in your web page. And mm -hmm. you can start building stuff with Vue, whatever you do, like with plain JavaScript, without any kind of build process in place. Yeah. And, and when you say not any kind of build process, you were probably using like the Rails asset pipeline, right? Yeah. But you, but, but you didn't have to introduce anything new. I didn't have to introduce new technologies, yeah. yeah. Now I'm interested about the time that you spent reading the source code, right? Did you feel like that was a really key piece of the whole process or is that more for personal notification? I would say that was more for me for personal gratification to give it a trust and also to learn a lot about <laughs> JavaScript because um, there's always new cool things to learn. And I always try to look at source code of other projects. And very often if I, like I, I wouldn't say I'm a super good engineer, but if I go to a project and I don't understand the source code, then it's like, okay, like would I trust this project? Because I wouldn't be able to maintain it. And Vue felt more like um, not trying to be super smart. It was more like, okay, it was built in a smart way, but it's like all indigestible little bits and pieces that made it like very 
interesting and appealing, I would say. Mm. When you, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, is that something you'd recommend to other developers uh, to read the source code of a project they're thinking about using? Ooh, that's a, a, a dangerous recommendation, I guess. <laughs> but for sure, it, it wouldn't be bad at all. Like if you, if you go into a project and you say, okay, like I want to build this or put it into my complete application and make it part of my stack, um, I think it's always good to know what's running there. Like you have a lot of projects that maybe depend on like 50 other packages underneath. And maybe then this is not the right thing for us because maybe there's a, like another tool that says it's providing you almost the same solutions on top or so, but it's like just smaller on itself and self-contained. And this kind of makes it maybe more attractive because it's like, yeah, you don't have to expect and know all the other 50 projects that are going into this one little source code. And when you were d decided to embark on this uh, amazing quest of I'm going to start reading some source code, did you just kind of start from wherever? Did you have some guides, some blog posts you read? Was there, what was your approach? Um, I basically went over to the GitHub page and tried to find my way to, through there from the first index.js file and say, okay, what do they import here? And then I went through the next one. Okay, that looks like the, the fundamental core piece. Then I tried to read this and see, oh, how this is all playing together. Like to understand how the, the view instance was kind of built together. That was for me very important to see. Um, it was very nice, for example, how the schema support for like props was built in. That was like a very interesting piece that I didn't even try to build myself again or so just to kind of get a even better understanding. Um, so I can't say there's a clear path how to do it. It's more like, okay, what, what sparks your interest? Go there. Does this look interesting? Is this something you can learn something off? Uh, then it's always good, like going through where you like to. I have a question. So the, I don't remember two years ago for VGS or two and a half or whatever. So the documentation was pretty poor. So that's why you had to do this source code exploration. Uh, the documentation was actually amazingly good. It was the Yo, back then? main thing that gave me, yeah, back then already, it gave me like a lot of trust in learning this technology. And only after that, I said, okay, I want to, I'm more interested into the source code. Okay. I know when I go through repositories on GitHub, I'll look like at the stars you know, how many comments, how many issues that they have. I mean, I'll do like a little bit of vetting before I bring it into my project. And then once I get it into my project, I might do some, if I have to look at the source code, but I try to avoid that. But yeah, sometimes it's, it's nice to know like a little bit more deeper level of like what, what it's doing, like dig away the levels of abstraction. But I don't, yeah, it's an interesting topic. And going yeah, back to the, comes to oh, so sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, do you remember what made the schema support interesting when you were reading through it? Um, I guess for me, just uh, the, the problem to say, I, I want to pass something in and define like if it's a string or whatever. Like I, I worked a lot with like those objects come from the server and I need to be very certain on what comes in. And there's always like you're using Lodash and you always check, okay, is string do this? Is array do this? And like building a, lot, a small little schema wrapper that says, okay, if I get this object, I can instantly pass it by defining a schema and it tells me, oh, 
it's a suitable object or not. That was like very, very um, interesting to me because I needed at my work. And in this case, like to see the solution they built, that was just well done, I would say. Okay. And going back to the, the integration a little bit more, were there any parts of the integration process that you realized in retrospect, oh gosh, maybe that was a mistake. Maybe I should have done it a little bit differently. You know, now that I know more about Vue and, you know, more about JavaScript and like, you know, more about your app. Were, it, were there is anything like that? Any mistakes? Anything, anything you would change if you go back in time? <laughs> um, I think there were a bazillion amount of mistakes that happen, especially when you learn something new. Um, I would like to think we didn't do a bad job in bringing it in, but I could definitely have done a better job in like breaking down the, the scope of certain pieces that you try to port over. Um, I think this is in general a challenge. I also try to mm. emphasize while giving the talk to say like you should always try to pick targets that you know as much about as possible. Like basically, if you say you have a new technology and while you're learning it, you start to build a new feature that comes along, then it's like, it's always like new things coming in the feature that you didn't expect. What kind of eventually brings your code in a point where say like it's not ideal because it like grows while you're learning and while the feature is growing and everything. Mm -hmm. um, so going forward, probably I would be more rigorous about porting well-known pieces of the code bit by bit over and being more deliberate about it before saying, oh, we're ready to build the next cool feature on top of it. Mm -hmm. You are more driven by your excitement rather than, than finishing things or? Um, I wouldn't say that's like, I like, I love finishing things. It's just like in this case, as a startup, of course, like, okay, you always have to deliver new features mm -hmm. to a certain degree. Um, but sometimes maybe it's not ideal to just say, okay, like, let's go all in on this route there. Um, or at least break the stories down into smaller chunks, but kind of makes it all a little bit easier. And was there anything like really painful that you encountered during your integration? You know, something where like view, at least at that time, uh, was a little bit more frustrating than you'd have liked it to be. You know, something that you expected to be easy and it wasn't as easy. Uh, I would say there was definitely the, te the testing part. Um, before that, we had a ton of acceptance tests running. So basically, they just say, okay, it's the page, it's jQuery or whatever is running. And you have like the browser and kind of like our test runner and Capybara verify, okay, these pieces of code are in the page. Uh, with Vue, there was painful to a certain degree because it was just like, okay, doing things in a different way and kind of rendering everything data-driven and then Phantom JS was kind of like the browser we had at this point. And that was just not capable of a lot of cool features that Vue would like to use. So we had to drop in a lot of like little, um, those, how you call them? Those little fixes, you know, like the skims. Yeah, um, sure. little hacks. Yeah. The little hacks, basically, uh, to just get okay. this running and this running. And eventually, we ended up having like a ton of those little hacks running just for our test environment to be saying, is this working as we want to? Um, so it's like this was way more painful than we expected and mm -hmm. would have guessed before. Has that gotten easier? 
Uh, that definitely got easier. So at one point, we first of all, we were able to upgrade our tech stack. Like after porting really bits and pieces off the application, we, we started building out their own little, I would call them like little single page applications, but they're all like part of the bigger application. And kind of then by using something like the new Chrome driver or headless Chrome, basically, and then with the view test utils that we introduced some time ago, um, that just made it like so much nicer to work with. Uh, before view test utils, I rolled my little own helper, test helper, that was already going in the right direction, but then kind of like with the view community consolidating all the projects and ideas into the test utils that yeah. made just the testing experience way nicer. Was that review? That was review, yeah. Yeah, yeah. D did you give it a try? <laughs> Yeah, I think I have tried it once upon a time. I, I not in a while, but uh, it's it's dead. <laughs> but now view test details is the right tool to use. So I, I know that you are currently reviewing Ed, who is the author of uh, main author of view test details, uh, and on the core team, and he's writing a book on testing. And I think you're reviewing that book right now. So could you just tell us everything that's in that book so that we don't have to read it? I'm just kidding. <laughs> you have five seconds, go. No, but I, you know, you, you, you are kind of on the cutting edge of, you know, where testing and view is going. Are there, are there any kinds of trends that you're noticing that, that you'd like to share with people? Um, I would in general say that like testing in the JavaScript ecosystem is evolving a lot in recent years or in the last year, I would say. Like there's many cool projects coming along. Um, I think just as a test runner, just make like testing a little nicer and easier. And just as a kind of like a crucial part in the book Ed is writing as well. Because um, it just made the whole testing experience a little nicer than except using Karma and Mocha and Chai and like bundling everything together by yourself. It's not coming with everything that you need. And I think Ava is also a pretty cool test environment. And all that are coming along or so, I think this make like testing and JavaScript uh, a lot nicer. Uh, for Vue especially, I would say kind of like in, in the book where we go in the direction is like solving like really those, those critical pieces, like the connection of data and computer properties and methods and how you tackle those. I would say there's like one thing people tend to underrate in Vue and that's like its reactivity system was kind of super powerful when you develop with it. But it also can make some parts while testing a little tricky. And I think the view, uh, the book does a very good job in covering like those tricky bits and pieces here. If I could talk about my myself part that I hope to contribute to the final book of this, I think it's the, the factory pattern to bring into specs is how you write specs in general, like to have something on top that gives you a, a clear starting point in bringing everything together, like a, a factory that prepares the component, mounts it for you, injects everything that you need on the fly. Um, this was probably the thing I tried to push a lot in the book to be more really kind of reusable as much as possible and give people a lot of opportunity to really build very complex specs by still maintaining a lot of control over what they do. 
So to run Jest, I'm assuming you had to transition away from the Ruby asset pipeline at some point? In our application, yes. I mean, I would say that we just introduced it on the site as an extra. So are you running a pre-build build pipeline, so to speak? Like you're building your JavaScript app and then putting it in the asset pipeline? Yeah, that was how we did it at a certain point. And okay. I mentioned the Shopify project. I think it's closed by now. Um, what, what they basically allowed us is you to inject like all the NPM modules that you want in your build process and kind of build like ES6 ready code. Um, like it has Babel baked in and everything. And this already allowed us to just run chest on the site, for example to say, okay, like now pick up those files over there because like they're pretty much ES6 compliant. And then we can just run some chest specs before. Uh, we didn't have anything JavaScript driven in place at the point before, to be honest. I think we had a test runner called Teaspoon that's like also just running in the browser and was basically using like the Xenon, Mocha, Chai combination but we, we never went full on it because like it was very, very hard to test a lot of things because like the tools didn't play nice together. And starting to use Jest was just a better experience and give us even more uh, performance on the side in running our tests. So I know when using Jest, you can use snapshots and all that, which I know people really like. But I know I was using Mocha and then I'm like, I wish I had that snapshot feature that Jest had. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now, and it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter DevChat in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter DevChat in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Yeah, the, the Snapshot feature is amazing. So uh, at the first ViewConf, actually, I gave a talk about testing. And like the Snapshot feature I brought up in the talk was like, that was the revelation to me to say like, oh, that's amazing. Because... Um, you, you cannot only say, okay, I compare like two objects. You can now really say I render complex pieces of HTML, take a snapshot of this one, and this gives me like a backup code if I render really complex pieces. Um, at one point, I started like going crazy in the snapshot route and like saying, oh, this is building a string. Let's put the string into a snapshot because it makes sense. Um, at one point, you lose like your context in some of the specs. It's like, okay, what was actually written in this? Um, string there but besides it like snapshots are just an amazing feature and i think sometimes underused um a lot of people what i've seen tend to use it on really like large 
JSON objects, like basically bringing a view component itself to a certain state, like adding some data and then taking a snapshot of the whole component. Um, the, the problem I see there is like, if you read the snapshot itself, it doesn't give you like any certainty. And there's a high chance that you overlook actually the critical part of what you were hoping for that this kind of component should look like at this point. So I always prefer to have like smaller snapshots of like bits of the component or of certain states, for example, because they're just easier to read and in pull requests in GitHub, and it's hard to miss like a certain, certain mistake. So, yeah. Yeah, I'd imagine with a snapshot of the whole component, you're essentially just testing that you haven't done any development on that component. <laughs> <laughs> right? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it makes sense like if you're, if you're like the style sheet changed and your style and your component changed, would it pick that up in your snapshot testing? Like something, I mean, anything in the component that change would would break your snapshot. Yeah, so I, I, I'm not talking about the com, the component. It, so, so testing the component itself, like if you just looked at the component object, mm -hmm. and then and use a snapshot from that, uh, that would just test that you know something has changed. But if you tested right. the rendered output in HTML or uh, CSS, then okay. yeah, I think that's a more useful snapshot. Oh, I, I didn't know. I didn't realize there was a difference. Like you can snapshot the full component, and then you can snapshot like the HTML and stuff inside the component. So those are you two different types of snapshots. Anything. I've never. Oh, I didn't even know that. Okay. Get the, it now. The, the beauty of a snapshot. Um, yeah, we, we tend to think of it. Oh, it has this special use case. You can use it for this or this only. But basically, what a snapshot is is nothing more than like. A string comparison yeah like whatever you throw at it it kind of will store this as a string um if it's html it like will be all indented and formatted for you depending on what you use if it's like json then it's like basically a stringified json object but you can throw like like if you want to have you can throw a lorem ipsum text edit and take this as a snapshot for your next text basically yeah um, so, so, so more specifically i guess anything that's serializable okay yeah Cool. So does anyone else have any, any questions about uh, testing? Or I think I actually have one, one more question about integrating into an existing application. Do you have any resources that you'd recommend for people who you know, might have you know, a Rails app or some other kind of app, and they're thinking about moving to Vue or you know, starting to do something with like a more serious framework, whether it's Vue or not? I think I would recommend the slides I created <laughs> at this point. Like, it feels pretty shameless to self-promote at this point. Hey, hey you worked on those. Uh, where can people find them? Yeah, they're on GitHub. I'm very happy to retweet them on Twitter again, and I will send it to the um, show notes, I guess. Beautiful. The, the interesting part about porting, and hopefully... The, the talk I gave and the slides are very much like technology independent to a certain degree because I, I didn't try to focus too much on the part that we had a Rails application. Um, you could also have like whatever, like a Python application, a PHP application, and you would still face similar challenges and like, okay, how can I roll everything in there? And I tried to break it up in pieces where say, 
how important is the build process? When is the right time to introduce a more complex build process? Um, we switched to Webpack actually at a very late point in time when we already had ported a lot of things over when we said it makes more sense for us to use what we have by now and port it in the existing environment and kind of try to use as much as possible as we can there. So what we started sooner, for example, is to splitting up the, the JavaScript code, having pretty much like the legacy code. Let's say, okay, this is what's running in the application. And then we started something like a new JavaScript file that would be embedded on certain pages. And this file has everything that they need, but they are very self-contained. So like not pulling anything legacy over because like this partly hurts what you try to achieve next. And we tried to build everything there. And once we kind of unified those patterns and made it a little more accessible, we created some helpers basically on the Rails side that would, if we come to a new page, automatically inject certain JavaScript files depending on what page you're looking at. So just giving us some way of separating the code that's happening on pages and kind of going full down the Webpack route actually happened, I would say, a little bit over half a year ago for us. Um, once Rails introduced their official Webpacker gem, because before it was always like very painful to find the right implementation. And at this point, Rails had an official implementation for Webpack. So it'd say, okay, let's roll with this one. And I think that's in general, like one of the, the biggest advices I wanted to give people to say, like, be very pragmatic about what you want to do. Um, don't go in and say, like, I will stop development on my application for a year and take the time and porting everything over because the year that you lose, uh, you will never kind of catch this one up ever again. Like, because all your competitors or so, they don't freeze their projects most of the time. Um, so to roll everything while developing is very, very important and make it all a kind of like a gradual transformation. And I think you said start with things that you understand very well. Start with problems that you understand very well rather than, you know, some big amorphous like new page that you have in mind. This definitely helps you in focusing on the technology itself. Even nowadays by using Vue, there's so many little tweaks I find nowadays, like just a few weeks ago, I started using functional components more and more. And like all those like deep nested functionalities, like something like Vue or whatever library provides for you. It's very good if you have the time to really focusing on the technology aspect of doing this without keeping the, the feature scope and the project scope and all this cognitive overhead in mind. Hey, um, could you just take a minute for anybody who may not be familiar with the concept of uh, functional components and kind of just explain it a little bit? Uh, sure. So a functional component is basically think of a view in, uh, or a view component. You define your template, you define your computer properties and data and everything in there. And this is all what kind of makes up the view component. It gives you like a certain context around everything. And then you use a lot of those this bindings. You all reference the object around. A functional component tries to boil everything down to saying, okay, what are the necessities I need to render the piece of information that you want to give me? 
So you try to get rid of the object as much as possible. And you then just get something like a context which says, okay, like what are the things that I pass in? And from there, I try to build basically just a render function that says, whatever you give me, like this is the HTML that I will produce. Um, so the downside is you lose a certain amount of like interactivity in those components. Like it's very hard to say like your computed values or even if you dev tools wouldn't pick them up because like they don't have those hooks for you. But yeah, they, they don't the have upside, their own instance or, or their own state. Yeah, they're, they boil down to should be just plain render functions. Mm-hmm. What makes them very, very efficient. For example, we use them on the one page where we basically print a terminal in the browser. And all those log lines, um, it doesn't make sense that they are all their own like components or instances. It's perfectly to say, okay, this is the log line, just rendered on the page as fast as possible. And by just switching over to functional components, we had like, I would say 50% CPU performance improvement. Wow, that much. That was my surprise myself. Yeah, for, for huge lists, it can be a pretty, pretty big improvement. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think there are other cool things in view. Like I just discovered, I would say two days ago, that there is this error boundary point in view. And like just having time and diving deeper into this and saying, okay, how can I use this to kind of make more impact on the product or the, the, the problem I'm trying to solve? This helps very, very much. I'm pretty sure Chris knows a ton about it and laughs by himself and saying, oh, <laughs> tell me something new. Oh, I, a, I just love geeking out about this stuff, yeah. Yeah. So what about uh, for, again, we're branching off into this, but what about people that uh, want to learn more and start practicing their styles? Are there good resources out there? Um, I, if, if I get asked or so, I usually always recommend the view, the official view documentation. I think it's still like one of the best technical documentations out there. At this point, it's probably fair to praise Chris a little bit. Like he does a, a tremendous job. And it's definitely I, a team effort. Uh, <laughs> yeah. A lot, lot of people Chris, on the actually. team and a lot of people not on the team contributing to the docs all the time. You know, I, I merged some new stuff this morning. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, I think the documentation is just like amazingly good. Um, but having now resources as well, like the, the cookbook, and I think there's a style guide out there. I think this also helps in shaping the, the experience when you dive into something like Vue. I, I'm, at the previous talk I just gave, I called this like narrative coherence. And if you try to learn a new technology, there's always like how, to the, how does the technology try to carry itself over to you there's some technologies where say like okay i'm trying to solve this but you basically your journey is way further than just saying okay i just want to render the ui part i want to have like something like state management in there i want to have routing in there i have a lot of components that play together to build something like an application and i prefer something like view in this case because it like it lies a certain path ahead for you if you say, once you reach the point that you need something like state management, there's not like five different solutions out there. There's the one recommended one, what's Vuex or Vuex. 
um, if you come to the point I need something like routing, there's the view router. And what makes it like so extraordinary, I would say, is that they're all um, taken care of by the view core team. They're all kind of core products. What gives you a lot of um, certainty in saying, okay, this is the right tool for me to use. And what I really like is that the view team so far in all the upgrades that did, it's never like, oh, view is upgraded here, but view X breaks at this point. Like you always try to keep all those pieces of the product or so itself in sync to a certain degree. And yeah, that's where I feel like that the narrative part of view is very well figured out. And I think probably better than any of the other things that I looked at. Yeah, that's that's very important to us. It, in a lot of applications, a lot, a lot, a lot of applications, uh, it's kind of useless to put out a new version of Vue if they can also use Vuex and Vue Router with it. Uh, and oftentimes a lot of other tools. And so we, we do pay a lot of attention to those migration paths. Yeah, that's work that totally pays off. Like even with now the, I think Vue CLI 3, mm-hmm. what, what came out or so is a about to be released soon that's like just amazing experience to have and suddenly with all the pieces you had already before like you can use view components but with view cli you can now render your standalone components because just how they wrap everything up mm-hmm. um like building on top of everything that you have already this is i would say a great experience and good developer environment in general yeah, have you played with uh, the UI for Vue CLI that Guillaume is working on? I sadly have not. I just look at the screenshots and say, it's, "Oh, uh, it looks amazing!" It's it is amazing. I think it's going to blow a lot of people's minds. He's he's doing some really fantastic work. Yeah, it, it looks definitely amazing. And I know, like from some people, I saw that other, I would say, JavaScript ecosystems like the the NV view to a certain degree for some of the tools we have. Like the Vue Dev tools are amazing. And like Vue CLI, how it now kind of shapes up, that's also like something, oh, we would like to have this as well. So very happy to be on the good train in this case. Uh, yeah, no, we we do also learn from a lot of other tools in other ecosystems too. You know, it, a lot of the innovations that, that we've made, uh, we've, you know, pulled from other communities that oftentimes invented that. Yeah, absolutely. Like the this this cross pollination between different technologies is super important. I would also honestly say that probably Vue wouldn't be how it is today if like React didn't shape up everything that it did. Like it it basically laid the path for data driven UI development in certain ways. And everything that else comes now is basically taking what others do and kind of then to try to improve upon it. Oh yeah, um, even things like yeah. hot hot reloading. Like I'm not sure if like Vue might still not have that just because no one would have thought of it <laughs> if you know Dan Abramov hadn't thought of it first. Yeah, Dan is definitely like one of the smart brains of the whole JavaScript mm-hmm. community. So very happy to have him. Good ideas in that brain for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So any final questions before we we wrap up? Right. Is there anything you'd like to, to plug? Where can people find you? So I'm mostly active on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter and at Coprio. And I would say this is probably the easiest way of reaching me. Mm-hmm. Um, always like trying to be at various conferences. So if you ever 
find me, see me somewhere, please poke me physically <laughs> and try talking to me. I'm always very excited to talking to other people. Um, Is there a conference coming up soon that you're going to be at? Yes, I'll be at the We Are Developers in Vienna in May. Um, that should be a pretty big conference. I think about four days or so in general and a few thousand people, what I heard. So that will be interesting. And I will definitely be at the next ViewConf in Amsterdam. So beautiful. That should be a good and that's point. in February, right? That's in February, what I heard. And mm -hmm. they just have their pre-sale of tickets available. So mm. get them while they're hot, I would say. Nice. Great. And where can people, you, and you work at CodeShip, where can people find CodeShip? So CodeShip is reachable on CodeShip.com. Um, if you're interested in CI, CD in general, uh, we offer a free product where you can just get running and everything. I personally ended up using CodeShip like on so many little side projects I just do. Like even everything that I do with Vue, we have like this basic product that gives you basically like all the node and yarn and all the packages that you need to build with Vue. And that's like just very convenient to even like build a small package, deploy it automatically to GitHub or to NPM. Mm, that's what I try to do. And definitely worth a visit. Wonderful. Yeah, I've, I've used CodeChip myself. I'm a fan. That's good to know. Always happy about feedback. We just released a new pro page with a lot of new UI changes and a lot of interesting view techniques. So I'm definitely trying to write up a new blog post about this as soon as possible. And yeah, that's true. That's another thing. CodeShip actually has like a pretty good developer blog for people who like, you know, whether they need CI or not, I think it's worth checking out. Yeah, I would say about the, the blog, we can be quite happy. They've got a lot of external writers and a lot of really cool content on there. Um, we try to basically show whatever is interesting in the developer community in general that can be from containers to certain languages to certain technologies or like even Vue. like like Vue especially. <laughs> and we're always excited to bring even more like JavaScript to the blog at one point. So... Maybe if somebody out there is interested in saying, oh, I would be willing to write for this blog, we would be super excited about having like more Vue or JavaScript content there. Great. All right, so let's head into the picks. Uh, Eric, would you like to start us off? For you, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at lootcrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, Costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby again that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10 percent on any new subscription enter the promo code bridge 10 for 10 percent savings sure sure uh so we've been talking a lot of this episode about books i mean we're talking a little bit about brett's new book and but uh also testing vue.js applications we talked about that a little bit by ed yerberg so 
definitely uh, I would pick that out. Check that out. I'll go ahead and give myself another plug, uh, or I guess it'd be the first one of this episode. But my book, Vue.js in Action, by the time you guys listen to this, it's in production. You can buy it now. It's an ebook. You can buy the ebook. You can also pre order the hardback edition. It has our own Chris Fritz as doing the foreword for it, which he did an amazing job. So as, check it out. As uh, heard on your phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Yep. So check it out. Uh, you can probably easiest way to find it is go to program with Eric.com slash book. Uh, and you can go there and have information where you can buy the book. And also it'll have information. You can join my mailing list where I, I give uh, you can join my mailing list, get a free copy, a free Vue.js cheat sheet. And also you can find links to where you can buy Ed's book and my book. So check it out. Program with Eric.com slash book. That's E-R-I-K. Actually, I have both domains. So Yeah. And I will say I will say one thing that I really like about Eric's book is how visual it is. So for people who don't just want to read like a huge block of text, <laughs> who <laughs> who like some like diagrams to tell you like how things fit together a little bit more, um, definitely, definitely recommend it. Thanks. Okay. Joe, do you have any picks for us today? Absolutely. Uh, I got two picks for you. The first one, since we've been talking about books, is actually a very old but classic book, Seven Languages in Seven Weeks. A number of years ago, I was at a meetup that went through this book, and we learned it's seven radically different languages, like so different. Some of them just are completely mind-bending I still, to this day, don't know how I managed to even get through it because, man, stuff was crazy. But it was very cool, very eye-opening, and really changes your paradigm about uh, programming languages. Very educational. So I highly recommend that book, Seven Languages in Seven Weeks. And then I'm sure that this has been picked multiple times, but Scrimba is such an awesome place to go and learn Vue. So I'm going to pick Scrimba as well. Excellent. Divya, how about you? Any picks? Yeah. So I, uh, I think Roman mentioned this, but I would totally pick Vue Test Utils because it's great. And um, the API is changing, which is really awesome. So if you're interested in like getting started with contributing to Vue or like changing the way the API looks, you're more than like, th- this is like a good time to do so. So Vue Test Utils, really great tool. Um, the second one is... Uh, and getting better all the time too, right? Like I think yeah, there was yeah. a PR submitted earlier today. Yeah, by, yeah, completely. By yourself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did submit a PR uh, to improve set data method. <laughs> That's completely unrelated. Maybe not. But the other one that I wanted to plug is Guillaume gave a really great uh, walkthrough of the Vue CLI UI, which I think was really awesome. It just shows you uh, a visual representation of, you know, like your CLI plugin, which is really cool and awesome. And I think by the time this podcast gets released, it should be available. Um, and then the third one is uh, Thorsten or Linus Borg Online did a proof of concept of um, a view implementation of React 16's Context API, which I think is really great. <laughs> um, there was like a conversation thread on Twitter about it because... Um, I was basically like, you could do this using scope slots and provide inject, <laughs> which is, uh, which makes it way easier. But I think he was trying to show that there is, uh, that view allows you the capability of building what is a current feature that is available in React, which is really cool. 
Great. Yeah, it's, it's nice to see you know, how you would do like different techniques that you're used to in one framework when you're moving to another framework. Definitely. And vice versa. Yeah. Wonderful. And Brett, and any picks? Uh, yeah, I want to pick 3D printing. I have a FlashForge Finder, which is uh, like an introduction 3D printer. And it's really fun. And the kids like the cheesy things I can print for them. Also, since apparently books is a thing to pick, I'll pick Star Wars Last Shot, which is set when uh, it has three timelines that it's set in a few years after Return of the Jedi. Is that really good? I'm liking it. Um, It has insights into Han when he's coping with being a new dad. And then it has um, two times before uh, A New Hope. a few years beforehand where Han has the money in Falcon and then a few years before that where it's still in uh, Lando's control and it has like insight into young Lando and then there's how old Lando um, deals with perhaps wanting to have a relationship. So, and is, and is that canon? Will that give you a deeper appreciation of the movies too? I believe so. Yeah. I think uh, most of the books, well, yeah, um, the book is canon. Um, I think like with the books, it gives you better appreciation for the the characters you see in the movies. Like the last Jedi book gave a whole bunch of insight that the movie just didn't, you know, cover at all. So there was no inner monologue of Leia thinking about her training with Luke after Return of the Jedi in the movie, unless mm-hmm. I slept through that part. <laughs> all right. And Roman, do you have any picks for us? Absolutely. So as books are the hot topic today, uh, there's one book I just recently almost finished to read. It's called Technology versus Humanity. And more kind of looks about technology from an ethical standpoint. It's just like very interesting, like to broaden the, the mind about thinking about like how technology is shaping like our life and what impact it has. Um, it's Definitely a good read. It's written by Gerd Leonhardt. I think he's from Germany. I think there's an English version of this available as well. But it's a, a very interesting and good read and gives you some positive vibes as well. So that's all negative, what's good. And on the view front, if we're about like to shamelessly plug ourselves or so, at least I'm doing this. <laughs> um, I'm currently working on a view video course actually with Pack Publishing. That should come out pretty soon. So hopefully I can make some of them available free as well. Mm, what is it called? Um, you ask me questions. <laughs> I think it's... Like if I want to watch it later, what do I do? <laughs> I think it's called Get Hands-On with Vue.js. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely a bit apart a beginner guide to Vue. It's more like really building an application with Vue in this case, a custom CRM, and all the ins and outs of it. It kind of covers testing a little bit. We have routing in there. It's have state and store management. And there's a lot of, like, really, I would say, techniques that help you, like, in building applications, what you can keep in mind. So hopefully that's an right. interesting contribution to the Vue community. Yeah, and if, it, and if it happens to not be called that, they could probably go to the Pact Publishing website. That's P-A-C-K-T. And then search for your name, Roman, and then Kuba, K-U-B-A. And they should be able to find, you probably don't have like a, a hundreds of courses on there, right? They should be able to find this one. 
As soon as it's out there, it should be able to be found. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. Great. And then my picks for today, I have two podcasts and then I also have a book. And actually before those things, I also want to talk about one more time, uh, get really excited for the UI that uh, Guillaume is building. He's on the Viewcore team and he, he does a lot of cool things uh, and also has a lot of uh, other projects, but the, the UI he's building is really fantastic. You're going to get excited for it. I, I think it really will redefine expectations for like, what people what people get out of their development tools. Hey, Chris. I, I'm really impressed with it. How's yeah. that? Can people download it today using the VCLI beta from the GitHub? No, it's, it's, it a it's in a feature branch. So if you, okay. if you check out the FEAT-UI branch, uh, mm. you, you, can, you can check it out there. But I think there's a few things that you have to do to, to get it set up. But, so I, I'd recommend uh, follow him on Twitter. He's uh, twitter.com slash acrium, A-K-R-Y-U-M. And he's posting some screenshots so you can get a little teaser. And then when it's finally out, you can enjoy it. It will you be know, awesome. View CLI the, 3. They're moving so quick in View CLI 3, just real quick. I noticed the other day it broke. Like, View CLI 3 was broke just for like a day and then they fixed it. But yeah, they're moving fast and a lot of great yeah, it's work. It's in beta. It's in beta. Yep. That's true. Beta. That beta. happens. Okay. And then my, my two podcasts are uh, they're not tech podcasts, actually. The first one is We Have Concerns with Jeff Kanata and Anthony Carboni. It's a really funny, short comedy podcast about science stories. Uh, with a lot of fun improv about like birds pulling pranks and stuff like that. And I also recommend Anthropocene Reviewed with John Green. And I, I think I actually said that word right. That's a tough word. And he just talks about various features of the Anthropocene era, you know, basically the, the era that is like where the, the world has been shaped by people. And he reviews different things on a scale from one to five. Uh, with a lot of uh, really fun and often like poetic commentary to go along with it. And then I'm on uh, book two of the Broken Earth Trilogy now, the, the Obelisk Gate. The first one is really good. Uh, and I, I talked about it on a previous episode. I will say like this series has a lot about relationships. Divi and I have mentioned before that we don't like reading about people's relationships in books, but this is a lot about relationships, but I still really enjoy it because you get to see relationships that aren't normally represented in other sci-fi and fantasy. And you also get to see uh, those relationships represented in a way that isn't normally explored, which is, is really, really fun. And that's it for my picks of today. And I think that's it for the show. So thank you very much, everyone, for joining us on Views on View. And we'll see you next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.